part there is when the guy's pushing the bacon off the plate. That never happens. Come on. You know, today we officially honor dads, Father's Day. And while we have a nationally recognized day for fathers every single year, society as a whole really doesn't place much value on fathers if you think about it. In fact, our culture actually screams the opposite. It minimizes the role of dads. And you can turn on the TV, watch just about any show, especially some of those cartoon shows, and they make us dads look like goofy idiots. And a lot of times, they make it so that, you know, what we really need is our wives to mother us all the time. And, you know, this may seem pretty harmless and funny, but they send the wrong message about who a dad is and who a dad really should be. I think Billy Graham says it best. He says, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And so that's why I've entitled this message, Underrated. We have a crisis in America today. There's over 24 million kids today, that's one out of three, that are without a dad in the home. And that causes all kinds of chaos in the family. In fact, nearly every societal challenge that we have today stems back to the influence or lack thereof of a father. When a dad is absent from the home, there is twice the risk of infant infertility, or excuse me, infant mortality. Children are four times more likely to end up in poverty. They're twice as likely to suffer from obesity. They're twice as likely to drop out of school. And young girls are seven times more likely to get pregnant. Children are more likely to commit a crime and end up in prison. They're more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs. They're more likely to have behavioral problems. And last, children are more likely to encounter abuse and neglect. So while our culture says that dads are unimportant, the fact is that the statistics here actually say quite the opposite. Now, these statistics that I've shared with you, they're only scratching the surface. These are about dad not being in the home. I would submit to you that a father who is in the home but is checked out emotionally is just as damaging, if not even more so, than a father who's absent. Unfortunately, too many men find their fulfillment and their joy somewhere other than in home. Sometimes they find their greatest joys are work or in their hobbies or in their possessions. Listen, the world is so full of distractions, it feels like everything is competing for our attention out there today. So we're so busy. All of us are running here and there. We're running everywhere. We've got so much going on. We've got our lives packed with so much stuff. And you know, then we, on top of all this, we've got an enemy who wants nothing more than to keep us consumed with the world. He wants us to take us away from everything that is important, our faith, our family, and our friends. How many of you are tired of being pummeled by the enemy day in and day out? I know I am. I am sick of it. And you know, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that anymore. How many of you played an organized sport growing up? Okay, a lot of hands. So you probably remember sometime or another playing a sport. I played football through junior high, high school, and college, and I remember my coach or coaches, how many times they would say, hey, we've got to focus on the fundamentals. We need to get back to the basics. If we can get back to the basics and the fundamentals and master those, 
then we can win. How many have heard that? That talk of fundamentals and basics. Well, I'm going to say the same thing today. Because we've got to get back to the fundamentals for our family if we want to be successful. And dads, that all starts with us. God gives us the blueprint for a family in Psalm 128. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Psalm 128. Before we read God's Word, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for being the ultimate Father. You've given us the blueprint on how we're to live our lives and how we're to model the behavior as a father. So I just ask right now that you'd enlighten our hearts, open our minds to the reading of your word. May it speak truth into us. Help us, Lord, to not be distracted by anything else going on, but that we can focus on your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 128, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. So did you notice here that in this text, it starts and ends with the word fear. You've got a fear sandwich going on. In the middle, you've got all the joys and blessings of being a family. But on the outside, on both sides of it, you've got fear. It says, how joyful are those who... Fear the Lord, verse 1. Verse 4, that is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. This is what getting back to the fundamentals is all about, fearing the Lord. Now, I hope someday that I can dedicate an entire message to share with you on the fear of the Lord. I really do. If the Lord gives me that opportunity, I want to bring the word that day. Because the fear of the Lord is so rich. It's so full of truth. I can't possibly cover all that needs to be said about the fear of the Lord today, okay? But I am going to share just a few minutes with you. It's so important. Who is the the psalmist directing this passage to? Who do you think he's talking to? You look in this text. He's talking to fathers. It says, if you fear the Lord, verse 2, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. And then it says, if you fear the Lord, verse 3, your wife. So there's the big clue right there who we're talking about. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Husbands, how many of you want your wives to flourish in your home? Don't things go a lot better when your wives are thriving? Yeah, they do. And also, if you fear the Lord, verse 4, your children will be like vigorous young olive trees. In other words, if you fear the Lord your family is going to thrive. That's what this whole text is all about. The family is going to thrive if you fear the Lord. So fearing the Lord, that's our starting point. This is absolutely fundamental to our faith. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So it's the beginning and it's the foundation. In other words, it's essential. It's critical. We have to have it. So what does the Bible mean by the fear of the Lord? You can open up the Bible and read all the way through Old to New Testament, and you're going to see the fear of the Lord all the way through there, especially in Proverbs. It's just rich, so full of it. But what does the Bible mean by the fear of the Lord? 
Let me start by saying what it doesn't mean. It isn't just simply being afraid of God. It isn't just simply respecting God. Those are very shallow definitions for what the fear of the Lord is. In the Bible, the word fear can mean many things. It can refer to the terror that someone feels when they're in a very frightening situation. It can mean the respect, the way that a servant fears his master when he's serving him. It can also mean the reverence that someone would feel or the awe that someone feels when you're in the presence of greatness. Now, the fear of the Lord is all of those things. It's all of those things. When we fear the Lord, we have a continual awareness of him. We have a continual awareness because we understand that he is watching and he sees everything we do, everything that we think, and everything that we say. When we fear the Lord, we have a deep reverence for him and we should have a sincere commitment to obey him. So another way of saying the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is reverence that results in obedience. It's reverence that results in obedience. Now, I'm going to give you fathers three practical ways in which you can walk this out, how you can live this out in your lives, okay? This is three things that us as fathers that we must do. So if you've got your handout with you, you can pull that out. It should be your first blank there. Three things that a father must do. The first one is love. Love. Love is the first practical way in which we can walk out our faith. The Bible says in 1 John 3.16 that we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for others. So love is all about self-sacrifice. And this is completely the opposite of what culture teaches today. Our world says that love is all about feelings. It's all about how you feel. As if one day you can suddenly not feel like you don't want to love anymore. The world, if, you, if we're looking to the world for the definition, we're looking in the wrong place. Worldly love is based on self-centered feelings. Biblical love, on the other hand, it's based on the selfless love that we share with others that God shares with us. So, we're going to go through a little exercise together. You guys ready for an exercise? How many of you came to church and were all fired up about doing an exercise, huh? Okay. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. This is known as the love chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. We're going to go through it on the screen. But here's what I want you to do. Here's the part of the exercise. Is in this text, instead of saying the word love, what I'd like for you to do is substitute your name in place of the word love. Okay? Everywhere that it says love and everywhere that it refers to love, put your name in there. So I'm going to read aloud. I'd like for you to read silently at yourself, but put your name in this text. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Ian is patient and kind. Ian is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Ian does not demand Ian's own way. Ian is not irritable. And Ian keeps no record of being wronged. Ian does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Ian never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Wow. It's pretty convicting when you put your name in there, isn't it? Yeah. This should be the standard by how we love today. This is the standard. This is how God defined it. 
And so you may be sitting there going, well, why did I have to go through that exercise? The Bible says that God is love. It's not something God does. It's who he is. And our job is to emulate God. So if God is love, then we need to be love, right? We are created in his image, and it's our primary responsibility to be like him. So the description of love in this chapter is actually a description of God and his characteristics, and it should be a description of us. Ephesians 5 says that we are to imitate God in everything that we do, and we are to live a life filled with love. Now, you might be thinking, wow, how can I measure up to that? I can't do that. You're right, you can't in your own strength. You need the Lord to help you. But this is the standard. This is how he defined it. And so we, we oftentimes can make up all kinds of excuses. We may say, well, I just can't love because, one, I don't feel like it. Or you may say, I can't love because the person that I'm trying to love is unresponsive to me. Or they just don't seem very lovable. But listen, love is a choice. And love is also unconditional. It's not based on how someone responds to us. Our job is not to love to receive something back. Our job is to love, period. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, that was the ultimate display of love in action. And none of us deserved it. That was real love. So let me ask you, is that how you love? Is that how you love? Now, fathers, I need you to lean in to what I'm about to say next. If you haven't been paying attention, now is the time that you really need to lean in, okay? The greatest thing that we can do for our kids is to love their mother as Christ loved the church. And you see this in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, Colossians 3.19 takes this a little bit further. So it says, Husband, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Okay? So we've got love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, 1 Peter 3.17 actually tells us why we need to do this. Why do we need to love our wives? Why do we need to not treat them harshly? Here you go. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, have you ever wondered sometimes why it feels like your prayers aren't being answered or you feel like God's not listening to you? Check how you're treating your wife. That's a big indicator right there. Check how you're treating your wife. So we just talked about how to love our wives. Let's talk a little bit about how to love our children. You can see this in Ephesians 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is a command for us fathers. This isn't just a suggestion. This isn't just a nice recommendation. This is a command. And it's to us specifically as fathers. That's where the responsibility lies. This doesn't mean that we just set the rules and then we casually enforce them or we expect our wives to do it all. No, it's our job. I love how Josh McDowell puts this. He says, rules without relationship bring rebellion. We as fathers can't just come around haphazardly and enforce the rules or lay down discipline 
when there's no real relationship, when we've not been around, or when we've not been involved. Kids spell love as T-I-M-E, time. We've got to spend quality time with them. We've got to invest that time in them. It's our job to teach them the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The words discipline and instruction both refer to us as fathers changing the heart. So you can change the behavior all day long, but if you're not changing the heart behind the behavior, it's not, it's not going to be effective. So that's the focus, is changing the heart. And discipline is really all about training our children, training them on how to live a godly life. Fathers, that starts with us. Instruction, or some translations use the word admonition, This actually refers to correcting or providing a word of encouragement. To build them up. So it's to build them up, not to tear them down, not to provoke them to anger, but to build them up. So I've just talked to you about how to love, fathers. Number two is we need to listen. We need to listen. And so when I was preparing this message, I told my wife, I said, man, I'm really struggling with this part of the message. She looked at me and laughed. She said, that's funny. You struggling with listening? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Can you guys relate to that? Yeah. All of us men need to do a better job of listening. I think this cartoon probably is pretty accurate for most of us. So you have on the left what females say, and on the right you have what males actually hear. So I think this cartoon is, um, is pretty on target. You know, many of us guys, we simply just suffer from what I call is SLD. It's selective listening disorder. We listen, but many times it's only to what we want to hear or what we think is important. And so I can think back, you know, when I was in flight school years ago, I was in the Army, I used to fly helicopters, and when they were training us, we had these helmets on, and we had an intercom, so you had a little thing over that you could talk on, and we had a co-pilot. So a lot of times, I'm carrying a conversation on with a co-pilot, he's talking to me, and then in my ear, I also have air traffic control, that's the tower, telling us where to go and how to fly. And so all this stuff's going on in the cockpit. You're looking outside, and you're looking down, and you're looking at all your instruments. You've got your altimeter, it tells you how high you are, your speed, etc. And then we've got these controls. So in my right hand, I've got the cyclic. In my left hand, I've got the collective. And then on my feet, I've got pedals. So i got all this going on, looking outside, looking at my instruments, my co-pilot's talking to me, and then I'm listening for my call sign. My call sign is the number that's on my helicopter, and when air traffic control calls my sign, I need to stop what I'm doing, and I need to talk back to them. So, in essence, what's going on here is they're training you to have a really good filter. Now, I think many of us men, we don't really need much training on filters. I think we are born with it, really. But to take it to the next level... I think I got pretty good at filtering things out. I think my wife would say that I'm probably a little too good at filtering things out. So we as men have to listen, okay? We've got to listen. I proved this example the other day in the kitchen. I was with my son, and uh, I said, okay, son, watch this. And so I said, hey, Kellen. Kellen's my father-in-law. And I asked him a question. I don't remember what the question was. And then, of course, my father-in-law, he was so focused on the computer. His eyes never left the computer. He never did anything. My son looked at me, and he smiled, and he says, he didn't hear you. I said, exactly. I said, so watch this. 
So mother-in-law comes walking into the kitchen. I said, hey, Gail. She immediately turns right to me, and I asked her the same question, and then she answered me back. And I looked at my son, and I said, see, told you so. That's how us men are. We're selective in terms of what we listen to. You know, I've heard so many times someone say, I just wish I could hear from the Lord, or I just don't know what to do. I wish the Lord would speak to me. I've said that many, many, many times myself. So the problem isn't the Lord speaking. The real question is, are we listening? That's the real question. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you got away from everything and everyone just to be alone with the Lord? When was the last time that you tried to just listen to him instead of pouring out a laundry list of all the things you want him to do? How often our prayers take on the form of us going, Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Could you bless here? Could you bless there? Could you do... We just go right down through this laundry list of stuff that we want them to do. Here's the deal. When we're speaking, we don't hear very well. So we need to shut this and open these, right? That's what it comes down to. Now, there's a time and a place to pour your heart out to God. The Word says to cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. But if our prayers are so filled with us speaking to Him and we're not listening, then how can we hear from Him, right? We've got to get away, get some time alone, so that we can hear from the Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. This was his inner circle. He took them to the top of a mountain to be alone. And on the way up there, Jesus' appearance was transformed. We call this the transfiguration. And this is when his face all of a sudden took on this form to where it was like the sun. It was so bright. And his clothes, His clothes turned to be so white, whiter than any white you can ever imagine, whiter than any bleach on earth could ever make them, okay? And at the time that that happened, there was this cloud that came over on top of the mountain. And in this cloud, this was the voice of God, and he said this in Matthew 17, 5. He said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. This is God speaking. Listen to him. Listening starts with Jesus. We should be listening to him above anything and everything else. We should listen to him first. Husbands, this is especially important for us. Always listen to the Lord before you listen to anything or everyone else. Our listening problem actually started in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the first one to have SLD. He was the first one to have that selective listening disorder. The Lord gave Adam a specific responsibility. He said, you can eat from any tree that you want, except one. God was very specific. You can't eat from that one because if you do, you will die. That was the command from God. You know the story. You know how it goes from there. But do you remember what happened immediately after uh, Adam and Eve ate the fruit that the Lord specifically told Adam not to eat from? Do you know what happened after? Here it is. Genesis 3.17, it says, And to the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now, does this mean we shouldn't listen to our wives? I mean, we could take this out of context and say, Nope, I'm not going to listen to my wife anymore because the Bible tells me I, I listen to it, I'm going to get in trouble. You've got you to take the whole thing in, into, into account here. The problem isn't, that Adam listened to his wife. 
The problem was that Adam listened to his wife over the Lord. That was the problem. We can't ever let anything or anyone ever get between us and the Lord. We must listen to him first. There are plenty of things out there in the world today that are speaking to us. Our families, our friends, our coworkers, the TV, internet, radio. You've got all kinds of stuff out there. There is so much noise in this world, it's deafening at times. We must always listen to the Lord above everything else. What has he said? Am I listening to him first? These are questions we should ask ourselves. I can't tell you how many times that the Lord has used my wife to speak to me. So it doesn't mean that you don't listen to your wife. It means that you always listen to the Lord first. And we do that by spending time with him. Okay? I've heard it said that prayer is us speaking to the Lord, but when we read the Bible, that's him speaking to us. You can't hear from him if you don't pick this up and read it. We've got to read the word. We're going to hear from him. So you've got to love, you've got to listen, and you've got to my third one here in just a moment. There was one tip that I wanted to give you men before we get going. Okay, you ready for a little tip? This tip could really save you some heartache. Okay, men? Here we go. Remember, women always have the last word in an argument. Anything a man adds after that is the beginning of a new argument. So, listen. All right, so love, listen. The third one is to lead. We've got to lead. Men, this is our God-given responsibility is to lead. We are the ones who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our home. It's our job. It's not the wife's job to lead. Unfortunately, the world has hijacked this. The world has hijacked the true order of the family. You know, the Bible is very clear on this. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. You see this again in Ephesians 5. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, does this mean that men are better than women? No, it doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 3.7, it says that wives are equal partners with husbands. We're equal. So we're no better and we're no less. We're equal. But God has clearly defined specific roles for a husband and a wife. For a husband, it's for us to be leaders. For wives, it's for you to be helpers. You can see this in Genesis. Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. You know, I struggle, I'm going to be honest, I struggle sometimes with allowing my wife to be my helper. I do. It's like my pride just gets in the way or something, and I feel like I can do it all on my own. But God purposely put us together so that she could be my helper. Husbands, let your wives help you. Let your wives help you. You know, wives, the emphasis today has been on fathers. I get it. We've talked so much about that how we as husbands need to love and listen to you. So you guys aren't going to get out of here scot-free either. Let me just focus on you women for just a moment, okay? Let me just say that the best way that you can help your husband, in my mind, is to offer words of encouragement. 
You know, shouldering the responsibility to lead is tough sometimes. There's a lot of pressure in that. You know, I can hear encouragement from a number of different people and a number of different sources. But when I hear encouragement from my wife, man, it's on a whole new level. So wives, encourage your husbands. Encourage them. As a matter of fact, wives, another thing is, is you are to complete, not compete with your husband. Wives, complete, not compete with husbands. This is so extremely important. Too often there is friction in a family because of this right here. You know, this also started in the Garden of Eden. After Eve ate the fruit, God confronts her and he says in Genesis 3.16, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. There has been this tension and this tug of war ever since. Who's going to make the decisions? All that going on. There's this tension going on in the family. Wives, God specifically designed you to be the husband's helper. Let me illustrate this for you. So we've got Jesus as the ultimate head. Then we have a husband. He's the spiritual leader of the home. He is the one who's supposed to provide. He is supposed to love his wife like Jesus loved the church. And then we have the wife. Her responsibility is to be the helper for the husband. She's to raise godly children. And she she is also to submit to the husband's authority. This is the natural order on how God set this up. This is what it looks like. I would say to you today that the biggest problem that our families face today is the failure of men to lead. When men fail to lead in the family, women naturally step up to try to fill this void. And that's not what God intended. This creates all kinds of problems. The greatest enemy to leadership is passivity. Okay, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to being passive. And when men are passive, it causes chaos. And passivity is caused by either laziness, indifference, or just plain ignorance. Now, I've gone back to the Garden of Eden so many times, I can't help it. I'm going to go back there again because it all starts in Genesis, man. That's where it starts. If we can go back to the, to the word here in Genesis. And men, we, we really need to understand this. God was very clear to Adam about what tree not to eat from in the garden. Sure, it was Eve who ate the forbidden fruit. Yep, we know that. Sure, it was the serpent who deceived Eve. Yep, we know that too. Many of us have, of us have heard this story over and over again. But listen, do you know that when Eve took the fruit and ate it, that Adam was right there with her? Did you know that? We can see that in the text. Genesis 3, 6 says, Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So here's the deal. Adam was with Eve the entire time. He was with Eve when that serpent slithered up there and started spewing all those lies. He stood right there and let it happen. He was with her when she started, uh, she started to take that fruit. So when she stared at the forbidden fruit, she thought, ooh, man, that looks so good. I want to take some of that. During that whole temptation, her husband was right there. Then when she took that first bite into that fruit, her husband was right there. And guess what? He did absolutely nothing. He stood right there, and he let all this happen. He could have grabbed that snake by his hands He could have crushed that snake, right? He could have put it on the ground and crushed its head with his heel. 
He could have grabbed that fruit out of Eve's hand and said, no, don't eat that. God commanded us not to eat from that tree. He could have done something, right? But he chose to do nothing. And here's my point. Men, when we do nothing, chaos happens. When our child is acting up and needs discipline, and we just let it happen and do nothing. When something comes on the TV that's inappropriate, and we do nothing. When our wives are desperate for our help with the kids, and we do nothing. Passivity is a silent killer. It destroys everything in its path. Men, we are the protector and leader of our home. We can't outsource our responsibilities to our wives. We can't do that. And wives, you can't nag your husbands either. (laughs) Let me tell you, when you nag your husband, it's like taking gasoline and pouring it on a fire. It just doesn't work. We both have responsibilities in this relationship. So when the family operates in the way God intended, with man as the head and women as the helper, it will thrive. It will thrive. Men, Jesus gave us the ultimate example on how we're to lead. We lead to serve. When our leadership comes from a heart of service, it's a blessing to the family. Jesus laid down his life for the church. And men, we are to lay down our lives for our wives and for our family. So, three things a father must do. We need to love, we need to listen, and we need to lead. Now, it's critical, men, that we get this in the right order. We've got to love first, we've got to listen second, and third, we need to lead. If we get these out of order, there's going to be all kinds of problems. Let me illustrate it this way. You've got this upside-down triangle. Forgive me for my crude drawing, but this helps illustrate the point. I've got this upside-down triangle, and it's perfectly balanced on the foundation, which is the fear of the Lord. So, Love is what kind of holds this all together. And you've got love, listen, and lead. If you're doing those in the right order, you have them in balance, that triangle is perfectly upside down, standing on top of the fear of the foundation for the Lord. But if we lead too heavily and we dominate and we don't listen, what happens? That triangle falls over. And in our lives, all kinds of stuff happens when we lead too heavily and we're not listening. There's no balance there. If we listen too much, in other words, we're listening to the world, we're listening to all this stuff, and we're passive, when we get things out of order, that triangle falls over. It causes problems. We're not leading the way that we should. So we've got to love, we've got to listen, and we've got to lead. Men, the world may say that we're underrated, but our importance to the family can never be overstated. We need to love, we need to listen, and we need to lead. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We love you for what you did for us and how you gave us the perfect example on how we're to live our lives, how we're to serve one another, lay down our lives for one another. So, Father, I just ask that you would be with any man here today who may be sitting here thinking, man, I, I just... I've got it all backwards. I've made some mistakes, and Lord, I want to I get it right. Lord, I just pray that you'd give them encouragement, that you'd strengthen those men, 
that you'd encourage us to be the leaders that you've called us to be. And Lord, that you'd bless the wives to help us in being our helper. We love you. We thank you. We pray as we go forward that you'd uh, bless us in our week. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we go, there was one last thing that I wanted to tell you. Some of you men may be here today. and You may think, well, my kids are already long and, and gone. They're already out of the house. It's too late for me. And I would tell you that it's never too late. I'm one of those 24 million who didn't have a father at home. I didn't have a relationship with my dad for many, many years. Matter of fact, maybe less than a decade ago, I finally reconnected with my, with my dad. And I could go on and on about why that happened, how it happened, all the stuff he was into. But I'll just say this. Today, he's senior pastor for a church in Florida, and he's preaching the Word of God. Yeah, it's awesome. He came to me several years ago, and he started to give me this laundry list of stuff of all these things that he felt bad about. Well, you know, Ian, I wasn't there for this. I wasn't there for that. And I said to him, Dad, that's not important. I forgive you. And I forgive you because of Jesus. There's no other way. I can't do it in my flesh. That's the only way I could forgive is because of Jesus. And so I have this relationship with him today. It's not all... It's not all, you know, roses or whatever. There's still struggles. We don't call each other every day. But I can tell you this. I have this connection with him that I've never had before. And the common denominator is Jesus. So I just want to encourage you men that may be in that same predicament. You may have a distant, you know, child out there somewhere that you may not have had the relationship with. Or maybe you have these regrets of things you did or didn't do. And you can all start over in the Lord. So be encouraged today, men. Thank you. I hope that you have a blessed week, and I love you guys. Take care.